Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, that's me, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. It's harder to focus than ever these days. Thankfully, C4 has reinvented the energy drink game with C4 Smart Energy, the only energy drink clinically proven to provide enhanced mental focus, containing 200 milligram of natural caffeine, a blend of vitamins and zero sugar. It was formulated to support your well-being and help you feel your best, all while enhancing mental focus. From your brain to your body, C4 Smart Energy does it all, and tastes amazing. Look for Smart Energy in the beverage aisle at your local Kroger, Albertsons, and Safeway grocery stores. C4 Smart Energy. Stay focused. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. 
It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here, and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London. You just never know. This week, we come to you from Bremerhaven, Germany, to Southampton in the United Kingdom on board the brand new NCL Encore. Joining me now, the President and Chief Executive Officer of Norwegian Cruise Lines, Andy Stewart. How are you, sir? I'm well, Peter. Thanks for having me. This is your which inaugural? How many have you done now? You know, this is the 12th ship that we've taken delivery of from uh, Meyerweft. So I've been involved in a couple more because we took one ship from a French shipyard and another one from a different German yard. But this is the 12th that we've taken from Meyerweft in uh, Papenburg. In how many years? Well, I've been with the company for 31 years for my sins, which <laughs> makes me just feel old, Peter. But anyway, never mind. Why do you bring that up? I, I'm just, I just had to put some perspective okay. into it. It's all about context. Okay, thank you. When you think about the growth of the cruise industry, not necessarily just NCL, the fact that you're taking delivery of a new ship is no longer a news bulletin because you're taking new ships all the time now. That's very true. I was I was talking yesterday. Actually, I was thinking yesterday as we took delivery of the ship about the, the fleet we had when I joined the company in 1988. And I made the point that the entire fleet was only slightly larger than the capacity of the ship that we took delivery of yesterday. Say that once again. That's wild. Yeah, the entire capacity of the fleet of Norwegian Cruise Line when I joined the company in 1988 is only slightly larger than the capacity of the ship that we took delivery of yesterday. So the scale is outrageous. The scale has changed substantially. And as you, the point you make as well, that the number of new ships that are being delivered every year has changed hugely. When I joined the industry, a delivery of a new ship was just a huge event across the, you know, across the world. You know, there was this big announcement about a new ship. Today, it's, it's another new ship. And uh, so uh, it's, the industry has changed dramatically during that time. But in the law of supply and demand, the argument was always made and then basically debunked that you couldn't fill it. Yeah, that's true. I mean, the, the industry was very um, reliant on the North American market when I first started. There were very few uh, non-US cruisers at that point. Um, and what's happened since that time is that the industry has globalized dramatically. Um, a, a ships are all over the world in a way that we could only have imagined back in 1988. So that's been a huge engine for growth that the industry has just moved further and further and further afield. Uh, allowing this this tremendous growth that we've seen. But when you think about it, we talk about tremendous growth, but that's a relative term when you consider how many people haven't cruised. Yeah, there's still an enormous number of people who haven't cruised. The opportunity for cruising continues to be a, a, a very large one uh, in my mind. The value for money offered by cruising continues to expand the industry. And, uh, you know, I, I, th I think we're a very, very innovative business. The things you see on ships today uh, are unimaginable from the ships of yesterday. And, and so I think you continue to see... Uh, um, the industry getting disproportionate attention in travel because of the exciting innovations that you see on brand new ships. And then, of course, there's demographics. I remember when my mom turned 80, I wanted to send her on a cruise ship. And uh, and her response to me was, well, I don't want to go on a ship with a lot of old people. <laughs> and, uh, of course, that really wasn't the case when she got on that ship. No, it, it, it's the, the industry. When I joined the industry, I, I didn't know anything about cruising. I And I thought it was a, a product for blue-head ladies looking for a second husband. That was sort of my image of cruising when I joined in 1988. And, and I was presented. What was that description you just said? <laughs> Say it again. I thought it was an experience for blue-haired ladies looking for a second husband. Um, I know it sounds strange. Is that how you met your wife? 
I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm moving swiftly on. So I, I, I didn't know anything about the modern day cruise industry. Yeah. I, it, it had not registered with me. And so I went for the interview for the job. And I was told about this industry that was predominantly in North America that was appealing to a younger audience and families and children and and I, I didn't really understand it. I'd never, I, I thought of transatlantic crossings. That was all I really thought about. And, and so the industry has changed completely uh, during that period. And it, it's every day. Every, people, you know, everywhere. In the UK, if you said to someone, hey, what about cruising? They wouldn't think of that transatlantic liner. They would think of young, fun, family cruising to, in, in many cases. You know, I remember, talk about change. I remember in 1984, I was sailing in the Mediterranean on a Royal cruise ship, an old Greek-owned cruise line. Royal Cruise Line. Royal Cruise Line. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the crew member said to me, I remember this so distinctly, a crew member came up to me and said, uh, I was wearing a white shirt. And he said, uh, you might not want to go on the deck at night with a white shirt. And I said, why is that? He says, well, that's when we burn all the garbage. Mm-hmm. And this is 1984, right? And sure enough... I went. On, I couldn't believe him, and I went on deck. And all of a sudden, next thing you know, I have brown spots on my shirt from from the, the you know the embers coming out of the stack. Those are the days that people weren't paying attention to the environment. Now, I mean, you know, everybody's making the announcements about no lo- no longer using single use plastic items, which, by the way, is not a news bulletin anymore, but it, it was last year, right? How have you gotten to the point? I mean, you have an entire deck on this ship, for example which, by the way, you've had on a number of your ships over recent years, that is entirely devoted to waste management. I'm extremely proud of uh, where the industry's come and, and where Norwegian Cruise Lines have come as a brand in this area. I think it's, it's, uh, it's very, very impressive how we've embraced um, this desire to go way above and beyond regulation and, and really move into a new world when it comes to um, sustainability, uh, environmental protection. Um, and it, it crosses every uh, every area of what we do. Uh, we've invested a huge amount in um, exhaust um, uh, management systems that that really um, uh, solve the uh, the challenge of emissions. Um, and that's been those a, are the scrubbers. Those are the scrubbers, and that's a fantastic technology that really um, cleans the exhaust, and and all you get coming out of the uh, of the funnel is steam. Um, without any um, anything that impacts the environment, our ability to deal with um, uh, wastewater wastewater treatment systems, um, we have extremely advanced wastewater treatment systems that that really um, clean uh, clean everything completely, such that you, you end up with pure uh, clean water at the end of the process. Um, and as you've talked about single-use plastics, I'm very proud that this is the first ship of its scale that comes out with, um, uh, with, without any um, single-use plastic water bottles at all uh, on board. Um, and So, so if, you, if, if somebody has a plastic water bottle on board, they brought it on with them? Absolutely. We, we don't have This is the very first ship of its scale that comes out with any single-use plastic uh, water bottles. Let's talk about some of those numbers because we forget how many straws people use yeah uh, we eliminated straws across the entire fleet last year we've now eliminated plastic water bottles across the um across uh, this ship comes out without any and we'll eliminate them across the entire fleet from the first of january uh of next year um and and we have the list of every single use plastic that we use anywhere across our uh, our, our fleet and we're checking them off one at a time some of them there isn't a there isn't a solution today and we're pushing partners to come up with viable solutions give me one that doesn't have a solution right a now. plastic um 
uh, bag, a, a waste. Um, I'm trying to get garbage that. bag, a garbage bag. Yeah. yeah. Um, today there isn't a viable solution. There's no such thing as a bamboo garbage bag. Not yet, not yet. But we believe that's coming quickly. I mean, the the, the replacement we have for a plastic water bottle, the cap feels like a plastic cap, but it's made of sugar cane. Really, um, I didn't. It felt like plastic. It to feels me, like yeah. plastic, yeah. but it, but it's it's made of it's made of sugar cane. So. Technology is moving really quickly, and and we're pushing partners to come up with solutions that will allow us to check every single thing off the list that is on our list of single-use plastics. Because we we believe that is feasible and it can be done, but it it can't be done by us alone. We we need partners to help us do it. Right. Plus, you have a zero tolerance policy on anything going over the side of the oh, ship. We've had that for we've had that for many years. Uh, we take that extremely seriously. I I, I say to anyone. Come with me to the garbage room, which you know, doesn't sound like a very. Is that part of your offer. brochure? Is that your brochure? <laughs> That's how I met my wife, no, <laughs> <laughs> darling. <laughs> Come to let me. Let me with show the you garbage. our waste. Yeah, but, but I've, been, I've been in that garbage room. I have to tell you, it's it's remarkable. Everything gets crushed. Everything gets bow, uh, uh, binded, right? And nothing goes over. I, absolutely, I, I would challenge any land-based facility to improve upon what we're doing in the area of um, look at, looking after garbage, making sure that the right thing is going into the right recycling area, make sure those things are getting to the right place at the end of the day, how we deal with glass, cans, plastics, and so on and so forth. I would challenge anyone, come see what we do. I, I believe there's a lot of I places. actually think, I mean, I'm, I'm, you, know, you have tours of the galley and you have tours of the bridge. You should really have tours of, of, of waste management here. People need to see it. Yeah, I, I, I'm genuinely proud of it. I'll show it to anybody um, and really feel like it's an area that the industry and, and Norwegian Cruise Line in particular have focused on and done a good job at. So what's your biggest challenge that remains in that area? Uh, I, I think perception is probably the, the biggest challenge. I, I think getting a broader understanding of really what's happening and what we're doing and how we're, we're so far ahead of regulation and how our thinking goes beyond um, uh, saying, oh, how do we meet regulation? It, it, it goes into the area of how do, we, you know, how do we take this to the next level? How do we push partners to develop solutions that will help us accelerate this process? Andy, as you look at the industry as a whole, explosive growth across every arena you can imagine, but also in terms of where you're going, uh, in terms of where you're also not going. Uh, you know, you had a huge hiccup this year when the Trump administration, I mean, essentially blindsided everybody and said, you can't go to Cuba anymore. I mean, that wasn't just you. That was every, cru every cruise line was going, yeah. right? Because everybody wanted to be in there first to begin with, right? Yeah. So then all of a sudden, I believe the number was you had something like, not just you, but the industry had something like 800,000 bookings on the books uh, that, ha that just essentially evaporated on that. It had become a very significant market, the, uh, the Cuban market, and so the change, the change came very quickly. Um, but the beauty of our industry is that we're flexible. Uh, as well, you can move your assets. Yeah, we as, as these. You learned that at nine eleven. We yeah, we learned that uh, after nine eleven, um, and we learn it as you know the the world as you know more, better than anybody. Things happen around the world, and when things happen that require us to you know adjust and change and move, we're an industry that can move very very quickly. 
um, ships have propellers and rudders, and and we can take them we can take them somewhere else uh, in the event we have a change like that. So you know it was one day to the next, and as an industry we reacted extremely quickly. Uh, we had new itineraries on sale, you know, a few days later. And um, the other thing we did was we did the right thing with guests. With guests who'd booked a, a cruise to Cuba, thought they were going to Cuba, um, they ended up going to a different destination. And, and you sailed did. a little Havana in mm-hmm. Miami. <laughs> No, sorry. <laughs> we offered some wonderful itineraries in the Bahamas, Peter. <laughs> but the bottom line is, they they could opt out at that point. Yeah, we we gave we gave people great options, um, and you know they could they could stay if they wanted to, and we we gave them uh, some good choices, or they could uh, they could cancel if they chose not to sail. And of course, if that rule ever changes, you'd be back in a heartbeat. Yeah, it was a very popular destination. It's an extremely interesting place, uh, and it's a place that people want to go to. So absolutely, we would go back in the event there was a change. And there's some other destinations in the world that cruise lines had changed itineraries on in terms of, you know, thinking it was not either politically correct or politically or or safe, uh, Turkey being one of them. I mean, for a long time, tour operators, not just you guys, but tour operators weren't able to even get insurance to go there. So they pulled out. Right. Yeah. Are the cruise lines coming back to Turkey now? Yes, they are. Absolutely. Uh, our premium brands, uh, Regent, Seven Seas and um, uh, Oceania, are both uh, back in Turkey. And uh, and on the Norwegian brand, we also have some calls into Kusadasi where g- guests can go to visit Ephesus. So absolutely, Turkey's coming back um, and uh, it's a fantastic destination. And so we uh, we very much hope that becomes a destination that uh, thrives again. And Mexico has always been popular for your for your for your members. Yes, yeah, Mexico's um, Mexico's very popular. Um, we have a lot of Western Caribbean cruises that um, are cruising to Cozumel and Costa Maya, uh, and those destinations are extremely popular. And then we run um, some Mexican Riviera cruises out of Los Angeles that are also uh, extremely popular. So Mexico's. Uh, doing well now this coming year I'm, I'm probably even low on this estimate i think there'll be six million ships in alaska <laughs> <laughs> alaska is a very popular cruising destination yes. i think that's what you're trying to say yes. but, uh, um yeah we we've um we've definitely invested in our capacity in alaska um we took uh, norwegian joy and norwegian bliss two of our newest ships to alaska uh, this past summer, and it's a destination that's perfect for cruising. Um, some really interesting destinations, beautiful scenic cruising. Um, so it's a, it's a really nice combination. But it becomes a logistical challenge when you think about how many ships can be in the inside passage at any one time. Yeah, I mean, it's, this is an area that the industry has to really um, focus on, uh, ensuring that we deliver a fantastic experience on the ship, on land, in every destination we take uh, guests to. And that's all about, um, you know, managing it in the right way, partnering with destinations to make sure. It's sort of like this double-edged sword because so much of the economy is depending on you, right? You're depending on it as well. And yet at the same time, you have to worry about depleting resources and how much you can tax the community. I mean, yes. not just you, but the industry itself. Yeah, and, I, I, and we have to be thoughtful about yeah. how we uh, expand destinations, how where we take capacity. And, and we spend an awful lot of time working with the local destination um, in order to make sure that when guests come off the ship, it is a great experience. Because it's the people buy cruise first and foremost for the destination. They they say, hey, I want to go to Alaska, I want to go to Europe, I want to go to Australia, and then they start thinking about 
um, you know, which ship or which cruise line that is going to take them there. And so, so it, you're saying that the ship is not taking precedence over the over the destination. It starts with the destination. Okay. It, it still starts. Although with there are the some ships, I would think that are being sold as destinations in and of themselves. Yeah, you know, I, I I think you could quite happily spend seven days on the ship, never get off, and not be bored in any way, shape, or form. There is so much to do, but it, it is the combination of the destination and the ship that makes cruising a winning combination. And when you think about it. Uh, there's a sort of a geographic awareness that either is there or isn't among passengers, because after a while they're just they're just taken with the experiences on the ship, and only and then all of a sudden the destinations become incidental. I mean, you say no. You know, I, I think you're you're right to an extent. It depends where. Yeah. So you're you're right to an extent. Um, I, I think when people are visiting Rome and Florence and Barcelona and some of these, in, you know, these. Various, well, those are all the failed art history uh, majors. Uh, <laughs> Those are the ones who said, I got to go once, right? Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. If you can use some exotic booze, there's a bar in far Bombay. Come on and fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. Uh, joining me now is someone I've actually known, I have to admit this, for 11 years. We go back, in the interest of full disclosure, to one of the highest-rated shows ever done on CNBC that I produced and hosted called Cruise Inc., where we were actually spending a week in the life of one ship to talk about the entire cruise industry. That ship was the Norwegian Pearl, somewhat smaller than the ship we're on now, uh, dramatically smaller, but he was on it, I was on it. He's the regional vice president of fleet hotel operations for NCL. Klaus Lugmeier, how are you, sir? Peter, thank you very much for being on your great travel show, and welcome home. Yeah, well, thanks. I mean... To put things in perspective, I said that ship was smaller. At the time, it wasn't. At the time, it was one of your bigger ships. It was one of our largest ships back then, the beautiful Norwegian Pearl, with 3,000 guests. And uh, now she is considered a medium-class ship and from how the size. And how many people on this ship? Uh, right now, we have 2,500. Uh, double occupancy is 4,500, and we can have up to 5,000 guests on board. And crew? 1,765. So we're almost at 7,000. Yes, sir. Amazing. Wow. I mean... <laughs> The, 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 I, I wouldn't call it necessarily the economy of scale, just the scale itself is staggering. It is, it is. It's, it's a floating city. I mean, you know, from 21 bars and lounges uh, to 29 food and beverage restaurant options to dine from. How many kitchens? Uh, 30 altogether. 30 kitchens. Each restaurant has its own individual kitchen. So that, that, now, in the old days of cruising, that was not the case. You no, had one kitchen one serving everybody. One main kitchen and serving everybody. Now everything is individual. Every outlet has its own chef and dedicated team members being trained in that cuisine. And, you know, everything is prepared a la minute, fresh. Nothing is pre-cooked. That's the beauty about freestyle. But in the in the old days, everything was pre-packaged. Well, you have to because how are you going to deal with having 2,000 guests walking in at the same time placing the orders right up busy? So you have to have a lot of the items pre-made and then just dished them out. Now, part of what we did when we did that show 11 years ago, which is just as staggering to me as it is today, is the, the, the sheer numbers that we're talking mm -hmm. about, right? So you have, let's say you're not even at 5,000 guests. Let's say you're at 2,500 like we are on this particular yes. cruise. That's 7,500 meals a day. Yes, minimum to start with. Minimum? Yeah, yeah then we have the crew too. You know, happy crew, happy ship, happy guests. So we have to have our little breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and a little snack. Uh, a little snack? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're going to say a little schnitzel. Yes, and uh, a strudel. No, stop it. <laughs> but let's go back to, you know, just what you say about the crew. In the old days, and I say really old days, and, and I'm, I'm revealing a little, little known secret, the place where I used to go on the ship, if they let me, is the Chinese Laundry. 
Yes. Because the laundry at those t- had the best Chinese food. They used to have their own kitchen there, yes. Yeah, but, but that's that, gone. No, that's a long time gone. Yeah. That was in the 80s. The yeah. way oh, thank you Chinese. for making me feel very old. No, you're very young, sir. Oh, thank you. But <clears throat> today, the crew is getting the same meals as the passengers. Absolutely. And, you know, we have 70 different nationalities, and, and it's very important to cater to everybody's uh, needs and everybody's like. You know, we have a healthy section for our team members. We have different kind of cuisine with our West Indies or Asian cuisine, European, American. You have Indian? So, of course, big one. Absolutely. Yeah. One of my favorites. We have it up in the Garden Cafe. We have an Indian station for our guests too. Very popular. And that's new? That's brand new, yes. What's radically changed? Radically changed on this ship is uh, including having our first on the Bicicapetta Italian restaurant uh, right here around the corner, which you sampled yesterday. I hope you had a great time. I did. Is is technology. I mean, we have uh, Galaxy Pavilion with uh, virtual reality uh, games in there, and that's extremely popular. We have the Speedway, a two-story racetrack. Well, I you mean, had a Speedway on the last ship. Yes, which was great, but now it's taken to the next level. It's two, two stories. So you drive literally out of the ship, it's, it's you drive around over. the ship. It's hanging yeah, over the it's ship. It's hanging over the ship, and it has two <laughs> levels. And and I hope uh, you have time so we could maybe race together, please. Well, the thing about those cars, and I did it on the last ship, mm. is they're not gas powered. They're electric. Electric, absolutely. But they they sound they sound like gas. So, so. They feel like it. You're literally you're you're uh, what's the nice way to say it? Your ass is on the ground. Absolutely, and and it's a lot of fun actually to race each other. For, for any age groups, you know, from, from the kids uh, to uh, us grown-up kids, you know. Well, this is not necessarily in your area, but I'll ask it. Mm-hmm. I mean, what's next? Because every, every ship, every cruise line is trying to – it's a game of one-upsmanship in terms mm-hmm. of, of attractions, right? I mean, of course, it was, first it was the water slides. Yes. And then it was the, the rock climbing walls. Yes. And then it was the, the wave pools. Now it's automobile racing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got some ships that actually have a roller coaster. Yeah, there's, there's no limits, you know. The sky's the limit. But, you know, we always listen to our guests and, and uh, to our travel partners. And uh, you get ideas from them. And then, of course, uh, with the engineering and our CEOs, and have to make a decision what is visible to put on a ship. Klaus, we talked about all the stunts and all the attractions on the ship. Uh, is there something that came up as an idea that everybody said, wow, this is great, and it just didn't work? Uh, not on this ship, but I remember many years ago on, on one of our vessels, we were trying to put an ice skating ring up on the sports deck, you know, one of those portable ones where you lay out the mats, and, and that was a complete disaster, disaster. <laughs> <laughs> to put it together. Nobody wanted it. <laughs> we scrapped this right away. Right away. Bye-bye. Yes, bye-bye. Auf Wiedersehen. <laughs> <laughs> one of the great nautical terms, Auf Wiedersehen. Uh, now let's go back to the actual food operations. Yes. Now, we talked about all the different types of food you have. I'll, I'll ask the same question. Is there something you tried on the ship as a food offering or as a beverage offering that also didn't work, and why? No, I must say we were very lucky at Norwegian. We always were innovative. We were the first cruise line with uh, sushi bar, first cruise line with tabernaki, uh, first cruise line with steakhouse. Uh, we were actually the first cruise line with the first specialty restaurant at sea in 1988. And uh, the cuisines we are producing, there was not one failure. We are adjusting several different dishes, yes. They're, they're absolutely. I mean, because I like my schnitzel doesn't mean everybody wants a schnitzel, as you know. 
Listen, I have to tell everybody this story. When we did that, when we, I, I do not eat schnitzel, okay? I'm not even a meat eater. But when we did the, the, the one-hour special on CNBC, which, by the way, is still on the air. I haven't, been, I haven't been on NBC in 10 years, and this show is still running. It's great. But when we did it, Klaus, remember I said Klaus could short-cheat your bed? He did worse. Every night I came in the room, there was another piece of schnitzel in there, exactly. and he put it in different places. Stop it. <laughs> now let's go back. Tastes change. All the time. Passenger demands change. Expectations change. All the time. So it's one thing to be you know, cutting edge on sushi 10 years ago. Now everybody expects it. Yeah, now it's a must. I mean, when I started uh, 31 years ago on ships, if you would have told me that we're going to have steakhouses and, and, and uh, Formula One racing, I, I would have said you're crazy. Look, 31, <laughs> years ago, 31 years ago on a ship, yeah. you had prime rib. Yes. You had potatoes, lobster, lobster, lobster and steak. Lobster and steak. Midnight and buffet. The famous midnight buffet. Mm-hmm. The all-time stupidest question ever asked by a passenger is what time is the midnight buffet, but <laughs> let's not go there. You had something that I haven't seen. I'm, I wish you'd bring it back just Tell for me. nostalgia reasons. Baked Alaska. Uh, we're working on it. Are you you're, really? You're absolutely correct. There is a demand for it. And uh, what's old, it's new. There is some traditional dishes. Uh, and we're working on it. We haven't yet figured out. You're really going to do it? In some, not on every ship, but there is a demand for it in Alaska to have a baked Alaska. Now, I think it's a great dish. Now you, of might, course, you might not yeah. be able to, you know, to do the dancing and the thing. This will come without it. But the dish itself. Well, in the old days, they came in with flaming. the baked Alaska, flaming baked Alaska, <laughs> this won't happen. and all the waiters were dancing. <laughs> yes, this is not going to happen no, now. There will be no dancing and no fire for sure. No flames <laughs> on your head. But the dish itself is is very popular. So some version of it, absolutely, we're looking into. Cruise lines like Norwegian have, in, in many cases, repositioned ships for particular markets, mm-hmm. the Chinese market, for mm-hmm. example. And every cruise line went in there mm-hmm. thinking that this is going to be the answer. It didn't always work, right? Not, not, everybody was putting ships in the Chinese market, right. but then you started taking them out. Well, you know, we, we, as you see, North America is extremely strong market. Uh, most of our ships right now, it's a cold winter in Europe. Who wants to be in the cold weather, right? Nothing better than sailing out of Miami into the sunshine or out of uh, Tampa, Florida, or any any warm destination in Florida, or our beautiful uh, Pride of America in, in Hawaii. I mean, that's a prime destination all year round, sailing the Hawaiian Islands, and we're the only ones who can do it. So that is, is always a big success. And, you know, you have the destinations in the summertime. You have Alaska, Europe, Europe, and we do go over to Southeast Asia, but not all year round. But I guess the question I was going to ask is about sourcing the food. Because in different markets, you can... We have everything flown in from the U.S. Everything. Mainly. Mainly everything. Everything has to be FDA approved. You cannot just go in any market and buy food because you don't know where the food came from and safety comes first. Are there there any local markets where you go out and get the local fish? No. This has to be all approved. Those days are over. We cannot just go. Really? No, no. The the chef can't go to the local market? No, no. he cannot go shopping and just buy his own fish and then cook it. God forbid some. No. Those days are bye-bye. This has to be certified, has to be controlled, and, and it's good It's good that way, actually. So everything comes in basically fresh, frozen. Fresh, frozen, and some fresh. You know, we're out of New York, we're out of Miami. We do have uh, fresh fish. I mean, you have Ocean Blue, that's our seafood restaurant. All of the items are fresh. There's nothing frozen there. Exactly. What's your biggest challenge? The biggest challenge is to keep our crew motivated, to find crew. Uh you know, we're building more and more ships, every company, and there will be a big demand uh, for crew in every rank, every file, including myself, and train up the next generation. That's that's the biggest challenge. I mean, we're everybody's rolling out five, six ships the next seven years. We already have to look for the next Tabernacki chef, the next 
executive chef, the next uh, general manager, the next food and beverage director, the next, and every position is important. So we are working already on a succession plan. And there, but there's a shortage. A shortage, yeah, not a shortage, but yeah, there is a shortage. Yes, absolutely. And you know, so we try to you know train our team members, and we have fantastic teamers from all over the world. We have the best crew and management. You know, this is a happy United Nations sailing and working together, and everybody should take an example of Toto? it. I'm feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Joining me now, the president of Norwegian Cruise Lines, Harry Summer. Good morning, Peter. Now, what I like about you is your, is your history. You, you come from the travel agency side, really. Yes, indeed. I mean, you started that way. And when you think about the distribution of, uh, of tickets and berths and the distribution, it, it's still very much travel agency-led in the, in the cruise industry. Absolutely. They, the, the primary source of our business comes from the travel agency community. And uh, I, I'm glad that you mentioned my background because I, I ran a travel agency for, uh, for six years uh, during the uh, uh, early 2000s. And we focused 100% of our activity on selling cruise lines. Uh, very, very focused. Cruise sales. only. Cruise cruise only. On, uh, we were a cruise only agency. Very focused on just uh, servicing five or six cruise lines. So our frontline agents and our marketing and our salespeople were all um, experts in what we did. Um, and I think it provides me a unique perspective uh, that I can understand both sides of the business, having been in the cruise industry now for nearly 30 years. Well, because before the travel agency side, you were actually at a company that's no longer with us, Renaissance Cruises. Yes, and, that, and that's where I the met. The R-Ships. The R-Ships. And that's mm -hmm. where I met, of course, Frank Del Rio, who's uh, also my current boss as the, uh, as the president and CEO of the uh, Norwegian Cruise Line Holding, our well, parent talk, company. Let's talk about the evolution, because when you think about the cruise industry, uh, and you look at just the sheer numbers of it all, you're still in an, an industry that's in your infancy. I mean, it, it, the, the upside is still outrageously high. Sure. About 30 million people around the world cruise each year. The majority come from North America, but still it's, it's a worldwide activity. But when you look at the overall global vacation market, cruising represents about 2% of all overall vacations. So we agree. We think the upside is, is, is tremendous. You know, we, we don't look at the other industry players as our co competitors, you know, we wish everyone well, and we think that the job that Royal Caribbean and some of the other brands do in bringing publicity and visibility to the industry is great for all of us. But for us, the real competition, the real upside is, is the hotel industry. Because for every 50 vacations that are taken each year by, by people around the world, 49 go to hotels and one goes on a cruise. We want to get those 49. So 49 are playing, paying a resort fee. Sure, <laughs> sure. And, 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 and having what we consider to be a, a less than uh, ideal experience. Listen, right before we did our segment, I, I was talking about an experience I just had at a hotel which there are lessons learned for this, and I'll, I'll share to you what it was. Please. I was at the W Hotel in Chicago. I was in my room. It was the afternoon. I was hungry. I called room service and ordered a 10-inch pizza, period. And I ordered a bottle of water just because I didn't I – mean, actually, it's tap water because I was just trying to be healthy, right? Pizza. But anyway, <laughs> it comes up to the room, 
How much was the pizza? A 10-inch pizza. I can't Take imagine. a wild guess. $8? $10? Wow. I want to go to work for you. $44. Wow. So, 40, well, it was 20, it was outrageous to begin with. It was $27 for the pizza, a $7 delivery charge, a $6 in-room dining charge. In-room dining. It's a pizza, right? On top of delivery. On top of delivery. And then wonderful. they left the space at the bottom for gratuity. <laughs> sure. I mean, come on. That's, and I'm sure you were quite generous. Um, no, I, I am, because you know what? I gave them a lot of time on my show to discuss it. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. Um, by, by the way, anybody from the W Hotel who wants to come on this show and justify the $44 pizza, <laughs> I'll pay your airfare to come. Well, you know, Peter, we're oh, By the way, there'll be a service charge. <laughs> Peter, yeah. we're, we're happy we don't have to do things like that. Yeah. You know, I, I think... But, uh, the reason why I bring that yes. up is about the all-inclusive nature... Exactly. Of, of cruising. I, you know, I, I think one of the, the, the highlights, one of the benefits we have on, on a ship like this is we have 29 different dining options, most of them complimentary. Uh, we have wonderful entertainment at night, all types of activities from racetracks and virtual reality, galaxy pavilions, uh, laser tag. And, and there, there's some small fees on, on some of those things like the racetrack. But generally speaking, the, the entertainment is complimentary. Most of the food is complimentary. You can have an extraordinary vacation. You pay once for your cruise fare, you come on board and you enjoy yourself. I, I, I believe that this cruise ship is uh, rivals and is superior to the best resorts around the world. Uh, uh, and we encourage people to come in and try. Now, thank you for that sales pitch. Of course. But, of course, that's your job. But let me ask you this. Let's go back to your days at Renaissance. In Renaissance, I think your biggest activity was the Midnight Buffet. <laughs> you know, n- not not quite. D- during that time, okay, well, Midnight you, you Buffet evolving, was big. Still, come on. Yes. But we, we, even back then, the, the, the cruise product was, was starting to get a little bit more upscale. Uh, um, but Renaissance, the main... Um, the main activity there, the main focus there was on destinations. You right. know, we, we built ships. That uh, could get into smaller ports. Exactly. And, and really, we went all around the world. We had ships in Europe, in Asia, in Tahiti. Uh, um, By the way, know, last year, I cruised the Norwegian fjords on board the Azamara. And yes. the Azamara used to be one of your ships. They, yeah, sure, sure. They were they were eight of them, and we yeah. wound up with uh, uh, with five. And Azamara uh, has two, and I think there's still one in the Carnival fleet somewhere. Uh, so yeah, they they all found really wonderful homes. Exactly. But let's go back to audience expectation and demand, because we're getting into a world in the cruise industry. And I, by the way, I understand it of experiential one-upsmanship. Everybody's trying to outdo everybody else with some other attraction that you couldn't believe would actually find its way to a ship. Sure. Sure. So, of course, we have the uh, the 1,100-foot uh, racetrack, the cantilevers over the side of the ship, and these wonderful water slides and the whole nine yards. But I'll tell you, you know, those are great marketing tools to get people interested, people that perhaps wouldn't otherwise experience a cruise. But for us, the core aren't those activities. They're great. We want people to experience it. But for us, the core is the day-to-day uh, excellent service, excellent food, uh, wonderful staff. That's what we think makes a memorable vacation. I mean, I'm sure there's at least one of your passengers who just gets on the racetrack and never leaves for seven days. <laughs> uh, I don't think we're open 24 hours a day, but there are certainly people. Well, he's got to eat. He's got to eat. There's certainly yeah. people that enjoy it multiple times during the cruise. So take off your president's hat for a second and just put on your passenger hat because you've been in this business for a long time, but you've also cruised. What's the one thing when you get on a cruise ship that when you walk on that ship, you know right away, this ain't working? You know, I, I've been on ships where, uh, certainly not for our brand, but I've been on ships where you can see they haven't replaced the carpet in years and, and the wool coverings are starting to peel off a little bit and the staff 
just doesn't look happy to be there. And you know, those are things that's that not you a good can, sign. No, those are things that you can ascertain probably within the first five minutes on boarding on, on the ship. That's usually a, a good sign that you're not going to have a good experience. Uh, and, and those things that are that are so that are so visible. I mean, that's the stuff you have to get right because that's the first impression that the guests get. Right now, so many of your of your cruises, just because of the nature of the business and the growth, are repeaters. Yes, yes, yes. It's it's uh, um, you know within the family of brands, we have Region Ocean in, in Norwegian. Certainly, on Ocean in Region, over half of our guests are are, are past passengers. But in NCL, we're growing growing. You have a rapidly. lot of first timers here. Uh, yes, so it's about forty percent past passengers, and the other sixty percent are first timers. Uh, and then within the sixty percent, half have perhaps cruised on another cruise line, and half are actually brand new to cruising. And at least on we're on essentially an inaugural here on this ship. Yes. I would guess that there are people who are on the ship who've been on every inaugural of NCL. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not sure about that because that goes back 50 years. But, no, no, but, no, they uh, haven't but, found that body. Uh, yeah, yeah, yes, exactly body. right. right. But, uh, but yes, we have people that have uh, certainly been on the last five, six, seven of them. Uh, you know, great trade and, uh, and media supporters that come back over and over again. You know, this is my fourth delivery for NCL. So, so I'm, I'm beginning to recognize a lot of friendly faces. We saw the, the, the evolution and, the, and the, uh, the growth, or at least the prospective growth, of the Chinese market in Asia, yes. right? I mean, when you look at the, the population of China and how many people haven't even traveled, right? And it, we're, we're under 5%, right? Oh, yes. but, even, but even under 5%, we're talking bazillions, you know. Uh, where do you see the growth there? Because at one point, every cruise line was positioning their ships there. They were, they were, built, they were doing a purpose-built ship for the Chinese market. It hasn't yet really jumped. Yes, I, I think certainly long term, you look 10, 15 years down the road, we think there's tremendous potential in the China market. We're at a slightly different point in our, our evolution than some of the other cruise lines. We, we have a fleet of 17 ships, uh, and there's still many other places in the world that, that we believe are, are unserved or underserved that our ships do, do better, do better from a, a, a guest perspective, do better from a financial perspective. Of course, that's important as well. Um, so we, we believe in the future of China, but we still think it's 10 or 15 years away from, from being able to support this type of product that you see here today on the Encore. Right, because, I mean, my, my, listen, I've been on ships that are, that are Chinese-built and Chinese-purpose-built. Uh, they have two decks, uh, smoking and more smoking. <laughs> and they have, uh, the other two decks are gambling and more gambling. Uh, uh, and you forgot the two decks for eating and more eating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Chinese are good eaters too. They are. We were talking about the Chinese market. We, you know, I go back to the number of ports that, go back to your days on, on and Renaissance, right? If you took a look at the number of true ports that cruise ships called on back in, let's say, 20 years ago, 1998, you were at maybe 300. Sure. Today, we're over 1,100. Sure. I mean, it's, so it's like there are ports that didn't even know they had ports that you guys are going to, right? No, absolutely. You know, if you look back on the history of the, of the cruise industry, you go back 15 or 20 years, it was mostly what we call an American sport, you know, and, and even that, you know, mostly a lot in Florida, some in LA. We all remember the Love Boat back from the, the 70s or whatever that show it was. The, it was the 70s. Uh, um, and it's really expanded exponentially in the last 15 to 20 years where, where cruising has taken hold of in, in Europe, uh, Asia, Australia. Uh, you know, Australia is remarkable, one of the top top penetrated cruise markets in the world, coming from nothing maybe 15 or 20 years ago. So really, it's expanded globally. Is there a place in the world, other than, you know, conflicted areas, that you're not going? You know, I, I think there are places in the world where, where there's less cruise infrastructure, places in, in Africa. Uh, um, and, but I'm trying to think past that. I think we go pretty much everywhere that there's an ocean. And 
The other thing that's happening, which I think is a good idea, it may not be happening as much with NCL, but maybe you'll correct me, is the number of overnight stays you're doing. Oh, absolutely. No, no, it's 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 big on all the cruise li- on, on all of our cruise lines. Um, yes, overnight stays is a big deal. Pe- people like to experience the culture uh, directly. Staying late allows them to go off the ship at night. Um, I'll be honest, though, you know, mo- most guests like to come back to the comfort of home. You know, we have so many wonderful options for dinner. So most, most of them come back anyway. But it is nice for a small segment of the guests to stay later. I mean, but for me, every cruise itinerary that you know, well, the ship arrives at seven in the morning, and leaves at four in the afternoon. After a while, it's like, really? <laughs> well, you know, the nice thing is, is you can get a tremendous number of experiences within a one week or 10 day vacation. So to be able to go to, you know, within a week, five or six different ports, it it makes for a very varied and interesting experience. All right, but call me old school. I like like a, at least two or three days at sea. You know, we have a lot of guests, and, and we try to get at least one day at sea. Yeah. Uh, um, more to let people catch up on their sleep from getting up at <laughs> 7 o'clock every morning. Uh, uh, and people seem to enjoy that, and then get to enjoy the onboard facilities like the racetrack, shopping, casino, all those other lovely things. All right, not to, to reveal any proprietary information, but in this world of experiential one-upsmanship with rock climbing walls and ice skating rinks and you know roller coasters and you know water slides, what's next that's a really great question, and, and we'll tell you next year. Don't when do we, that. When no. we, uh, uh, you know, we have, a, we have a new class of ships coming. So this, this is the um, The Schlepper the class? Is it no, the Schlepper no, class? No, 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 the, the Leonardo class. So this is the last in our breakaway class. We, we built six ships that See, are similar I want to come design. up with the Schlepper class. I, I, <laughs> no, no, no. No, no. no. And, and I'm not what? putting you in marketing, Peter. No, wait, wait, uh, wait, you haven't heard my whole spiel, <laughs> right? You come up with a Schlepper class of ship, and the name of the first ship is Murray. Like, Murray! <laughs> and that's it, right? I, no, I, no, I think no. that was cruising the way it was. 20 years ago uh, and now, now we have better class names know, for yeah, that yeah. and so we have um, after this ship which is you know the last of our most successful class of ships we have the uh, Leonardo class ships where the first ship's coming in June of uh, 2022 so those those ships the first of those ships goes on in sale uh, on sale in April in six months so we'll be starting to talk about that ship um, after we're done with the festivities on Encore what Leonardo is it going to be bigger than this class ship? no it, we're, we're actually going a little bit smaller so really yes so we, we took a strategy that we wanted to have cruise uh, ship sizes in four different classes. So we have five ships that have about 2,000 passengers. We have four ships that have about 2,400 passengers. We have these six ships that have between 3,500 and 4,000 passengers. And with the Leonardo ship, we're going to, to a cruise ship that has about 3,200, 3,300 passengers. Is that a sweet spot for you? I, I, I think the, the the variability having four different sizes allows us to go to places all around the world and fit the perfect size ship with the perfect itinerary. Well, it gives you more options. Exactly. I mean, and gives our guests more options. I mean, other than there was a point where this ship could not have gone through the Panama Canal. Yes, now been, it can because it's the new canal. Up until a few years ago, yes, yeah. and, and just makes it too. Just makes it yes. by inches. <laughs> I'm not sure about inches. No, no, it is I, by inches. I just it makes really it too, is. Yes. Uh, when your passengers are coming to you and saying, "Okay, we've done this, we've done this, we've done this. When are you going to go X?" What's the one thing that you hear more often than anybody else that they want to go somewhere? Now, obviously, you guys got. You know, not you guys. The entire cruise industry got a little blindsided by the Trump administration on Cuba. Let's call it what it is. That was a shame. And that was a lot of bookings that just disappeared because they couldn't go anymore. Exactly. Right? But where is the next, if you will excuse the expression, Cuba, where it is accessible to you? You know, I I don't think there's going to be a next Cuba. Cuba. Cuba was a unique opportunity where... Americans weren't allowed to travel there for something like 50 years. Then there was a tremendous amount of pent-up demand. Uh, I'm not aware of any other, you know, major destination. Certainly, nothing so close to the United States that was off limits for the next 50 years. Listen, we would love to see places like uh, like Venezuela, uh, you know, get get 
back to where it was many years ago to make that a more appealing destination that's also close to home. And there's also places perhaps a little further north, you know, in, in the Arctic and Antarctic that, that people seem on a niche basis uh, to want to go. Will you, do the but, north, do you, will you do the Northwest Passage? You know, it, it's, it's challenging. It's really challenging. Certainly we couldn't do it on a Norwegian ship. They're simply too big. But we look at it on our Ocean and region brands from time to time as well. And, and, and there's a logistical challenge. But more than that, there, there, there's a safety issue. You're, you're literally in the middle of nowhere, hundreds and hundreds of miles away from With no port. plan B. Riding along in my automobile My baby beside me at the wheel Cruising and playing the radio With no particular place to go Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hello and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now. Joining me now, the captain of the Encore, uh, Nicholas Person. How are you, sir? I'm very good, thanks. Captain, I have to ask a question that, I've been, for me, it's obvious. For most of my audience, maybe not. You have to redefine the word captain these days because it's not just about navigation and rules of the road. You have to be an engineer. You have to be a technician. You have to understand every system. The, the, the ship is like probably 60 different systems. I mean, that's a big learning curve. It sure is. Luckily, I have a very good team to assist me. Right, but it's more than just, you know, where are we going today? It's what's happening on Deck 9, what's doing, what's going on in, in, in the engine room, what's happening in the laundry. Everything is interconnected. There's not, you can't look at it one-dimensionally. That is for sure true. Uh, luckily, we have very good automation systems to help us out also with, with all these big ships coming out. We need, need good automation systems to help us. What I always look like about, about modern cruise ships, especially on the bridge, is you've got your, especially your display panels. And your display panels, you have probably, and I may be low on this, at least 1,000 cameras uh, somewhere, right? Yes. In that way, that, they're, that are live, digital, 24-7. So you have eyes on everything that you need in critical spaces, the engine room, the generators, the uh, you know waste management, everything, so that if there's a problem, you can, you can spot it immediately and deal with it instantaneously. That's correct, and that's exactly how we use the system. If we have a fire alarm, we can automatically track in on the closest camera. 
that zooms in. What I really love about it is on a ship this big, it's a small city, we know it is. On a ship this big, if, if I mistakenly leave my iPhone at the pool and I go, oh my God, I get back to my cabin, I don't know where it is, I can go to any one of your guys and say, I left it at the pool, what time did you leave it? They can go back and look at the video and tell, and tell you exactly where the phone went. We can. Yeah. So that's a very good thing. The other thing that you have on this ship, which uh, we've done stories on it before, and most ships have it these days, speaking of cameras, you've got forward-looking and aft-looking infrared cameras that's that, that give you a real-time picture of what's happening over the side of the ship. Yes. So, God forbid, there's a problem. God forbid, and we, we had such, I'll, t- I'll tell you the story. It was it's an amazing story. Uh, there was a couple that uh, was in their cabin, and the next morning, the woman was missing. And the husband was immediately suspected, mm. right? And the, the actual video record that they had was of the couple, and by the way, I should tell everybody, you do not have cameras inside cabins. You have cameras <laughs> in public areas, right? Yes. And, and the story is that the, the video captured the, the, the couple walking back to their cabin mm-hmm. and closing the door. And about 20 minutes later, the, the, um, the cameras actually got the man coming out of the cabin going to the casino. Yeah. And then they didn't see the woman, mm-hmm. right? It was the infrared cameras that caught her, and actually she jumped over, yeah. right? So he was off the hook, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> but the point is you have a... What it allows you to do in, a, in an emergency situation is get information much more realistically and, and in real time. Yes, safety and security point of view, it's very, very useful. And the same thing applies, you know, the, the worst thing that can happen on a, on a ship is fire. Yes. You and I both know that because yes. I live on a boat. I, yeah. And I have a button on my, if a fire breaks out in, in, in my engine room, mm. right, and I have a, a, up on my control panel on the bridge, yeah. and I get a light that says you have a, you have a fire in the engine room, there's another button I'm supposed to push. And you and I both know that before I get to push that button, there's another button that goes, are you sure? Because <laughs> <laughs> once I push that button, I basically flood the engine room yeah. with firefighting chemicals, yeah. or in your case, it would be mist. Correct. Uh, and it's done. Yeah. Right? Yes. So, I mean, and you can do that quickly. Very quickly. Very That's changed efficient. from the old days. That has changed a lot. Yeah. So you have automated systems, and on top of that, you, you can actually do it manual. Right. Plus, you know if, if Mrs. Schmidlap is smoking in her cabin and smoking is not allowed, you can get to Mrs. Schmidlap to tell her that smoking is not allowed. We will get that alarm. So we can see that. Right. Yeah. And people try to cheat all the time, on that, <laughs> don't they? They can't help themselves, right? It happens. It happens, yeah. I know. And, and the crew, too. That happens. I know. <laughs> What's the biggest challenge that you have other than just the size of the ship? Because because when you train on a ship like this, yeah. maneuverability is is key. Yes. You know, um, and you've got the joystick. Yes. You've got all sorts of thrusters. Yes. Right? It's And you are actually, uh, unless, t- tell me if I'm wrong, but mm-hmm. you are, other than port requirements, you don't really need tugboats. No, correct. That's correct. So we don't need uh, tugboats. And yet some reports require you to have them. Yes. That is also correct. But you can spin this on a dime. Yes, you can. You have very good maneuverability. With these new ABB Azipods, you have extremely good maneuverability. What we're talking about when we talk about the Azipods, we're not talking about typical propellers and rudders. There is no no rudder, right? The Azipod is the propeller and the rudder because it spins 360 degrees. That is correct. So you can go positive RPM, negative RPM, and then you can turn them 360 degrees. How long is this ship? So you have 330 meters of ship. So we're basically, we're basically, my goodness, that's a thousand feet. Yes, more than a thousand feet. Wow, and the the beam of this ship is wild. It's wild. Yeah, it is uh, 41 meters. 
So we're talking seriously wide, seriously long. Yeah. And yet you can stop this thing on a dime because of the azipods. That is correct. And for those people who don't know what I'm talking about, we're not talking about a traditional ship with a rudder and propellers. We're talking about a ship that's got a self-contained 360-degree rudder and propeller, if you will, which is an azipod. And you've got how many of them? Two. Two. Two in the back. So basically, depending on which angle you turn them, you can either spin this on a dime, you can stop it on a dime, and my most favorite thing that you can do is you can hold your position on a dime. That is absolutely correct. Right? It's called what? Dynamic position? Dynamic positioning system. Wow. Yeah. Because when you deal with momentum, you know, it's most people, it always amazes me when somebody buys a boat, you know, recreational boating, very few licensing requirements in the United States. It always astounds me yeah. that, that, you know, you can get in a lethal weapon and just <laughs> get in it. And, and so many of the people, uh, even my friends who buy a boat, you know, they, they, they're looking for the brake and the turn signal, and I'm saying, it doesn't work that way. You know, you need to understand speed and momentum because if you don't do that, you're going to do damage to your ship, to other people, or the dock, or yeah. all three, yes. right? So before you ever enter a harbor, right, even though you have a, a harbor pilot on board, yeah. you're watching momentum more than anything else. Absolutely. Momentum and weather and current. You really have and to pay drift. attention. And drift. Yes. Yeah. Because no matter how big this ship is, it will drift. It will drift. It's a big sail area. What's your biggest challenge based on the size of the ship then? With these good systems, I don't see much of a challenge. Of course, uh, you need the infrastructure in the ports to receive these big ships. As long as you have that, there is no challenge. And as long as you have enough power. And uh, for me, Azipods uh, is the way to go. Now, when they first came out with the Azipods, it wasn't the way to go. There was nothing but trouble, right? <laughs> yeah, it's been a, been a learning experience. No kidding. Yeah. But they figured it out now. Absolutely. And what does it do in terms of your performance, in terms of your fuel consumption, in terms of your hull speed? It, it's only positive aspects. So you have a lot of systems now uh, to minimize fuel consumptions. And the Azipods are very efficient, more efficient than traditional, conventional propellers and rudders because because it's just a better flow of water through the propellers and through the support so you can actually tow the propellers or the support slightly out to get a better flow and of course the design of the ship at the front you still have the you still have the bulbous bow that is correct yeah we yeah. do i mean that intuitively doesn't seem like it would work and <laughs> right i mean what's this thing protruding from the bow yeah it ju just minimizes the the friction for the hull or it distributes it. Correct. Wow. Now, it's one thing to have a ship of this size. It's another thing to, for efficiency and flow to move people throughout the ship yeah. and to get them off the ship. Yes. Right? My biggest fear as the ships got bigger and bigger is by the time you got off the ship, it was time to get back on it again. <laughs> right? Yeah. How have you fixed that? I mean, you really want to have, again, back to the infrastructure in the ports. We have a lot of shell doors, a lot of ways to put linkways and gangways on board a ship. But it's back to the infrastructure in the actual port. Because so, I remember in the old days, you had two gangways. One going up for, for passengers, one going down for crew. Yeah. Right? That's different, too. So that's different. We have much more gangways and linkways connected. As many as we can hook up, we will hook up uh, to get that flow. We don't want lines. We really want to minimize uh, the lines. And we want to have a good flow coming on board and going off the ship. Now, there are some, there are some ports where you can't tie up. You have to tender in. Yes. Right? And the same flow challenges are there as well. Absolutely. And then you also have the weather aspect, of course, and the, the distance you need to tender. 
So that can be uh, challenging sometimes, but uh, we have also four big tender platforms on, on this ship, so you, you can get a good flow as long as you have the tender boats. Now, you mentioned the tender boats. Yeah. The design of those boats has changed. Yes. They're actually looking better now. Yeah. They're actually handling the sea better, Yes. and they actually hold more people. They do. What does a tender hold right now? It depends. I mean, uh, normally on this ship, it's planned to use shore-side tenders. We will not use ship-side tenders. So looking at uh, GSC, our private island, Great Serap K, uh, we have two 450 people tenders. That's then, big. That is very big tenders. And then we have two 250 tenders. But, so, as, but as opposed to what you have on this ship that yeah. you use as tenders, what's the maximum capacity? So on? right now we only have on this ship, we only have lifeboats. So we are not using tender boats on this ship. Wow, that's no. new. That is fairly new. Wow, interesting. So you're really depending on the infrastructure on the shore. Exactly. And they better get their act together. That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought I'd mention that. Yeah. Is there a port you can't get into? Quite a few, actually. Uh, you are on a ship like this, you are limited. Definitely limited on, uh, on uh, where you can go. I mean, you can get through the Panama Canal. This is designed to go through the postpone months. Yes. yes. The, the new one. The new one. Yeah, of course. If you are continuing on to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. I am a passenger. Lots of stories to talk about, but in particular, this particular ship, and joining me now, the uh, UK managing editor of Cruise Critic, Adam Coulter. How are you, sir? I'm very well. Thank you very much for having me. I mean, this is not your first cruise. No, I've been on a few. How does this, I mean, this is a brand new ship. I mean, literally brand new, right out of the shipyard. Yeah. How does this ship differ from the product that you've seen on other NCL ships or on other ships in general? Sure. Well, I mean, I love this hardware, first of all. I love being on these brand new ships. I love the smell of it and, you know, when it's fresh out of the It dock. has a new ship smell, does it? It does have a new ship smell, yeah. Um, in terms of how it compares, I've been very fortunate. I've been on, on all the inaugurals for Norwegian over the past few years, all the Breakaway and the Breakaway Plus uh, ships. And this one, obviously, there's a few tweaks. Um, the go-kart was a huge success, the go-kart track. Uh, and they've oh, extended it. Uh, yeah, they've ex literally extended it over the side yeah, of the over ship. Over the side, that's right. They've made it a little bit bigger. Um, have you done it yet? I haven't done it yet, but I'm looking forward to doing it. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I have done it on previous ships. I have, I've done it as well. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a pretty cool feeling. It is. It gets pretty tough out there because you're not meant to be bumping into people, but people do. They, I think they think it's bumper cars, whereas in <laughs> fact it's meant to be a go-kart <laughs> track. Um, and, and the funny thing is, you may have noticed this, they have these little speakers uh, in, in the sort of cockpit right. area that make you think you're going really fast. But then when you step out and you watch other people doing it, it's just like an electric motor and it's completely silent. Exactly. It's great. Um, and then there's the laser tag, which again, I haven't done yet, but I'm very much looking forward to doing that. Um, and also, th there's some, a few new dining concepts which are interesting as well. Well, before we get to the food, let's just talk about mm. the attractions. because. Sure. In this game of one-upsmanship, every cruise line is trying to outdo everyone else. With right. One has a roller coaster, one has a, a wave-riding machine, one's got the, the go-kart racetrack. I mean, where does it end? Well, I, I mean, th that's a great question. I, I remember uh, a few April Aprils ago, uh, April the 1st, someone came out with uh, the idea of perhaps having a, a ski run. And, uh, people, and people bought it. People bought it because, to be honest, nowadays... It, it, it's almost anything, you know, you can have on board. You, you have that North Star on the Quantum class ships from from Royal. Uh, you have the bumper cars on Royal as well. As you said, the Flow Riders, you know, yeah. simulated surfing. So why not 
you know, a ski run. Um, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but, but, you know. Well, it was an April Fool's joke. It was an April Fool's joke. But, you know, these things happen. Hey, look, they even have a, an attraction on the ship called Walk the Plank. Right, exactly, which I, di- which I have done and is terrifying. Is it really? Oh, yeah. You go right out over the side. You're, you're strapped in, right? You've yeah. got a big harness on and stuff. But a really big harness, it, I hope? It's yeah. a very big harness, yeah. and it takes you out about six feet over the ship, but you're on the top deck, and that's about 18 decks, and you're looking straight down into the water. It's terrifying. Could you count me out on that one? I'm, yeah, sure. I'm, I'm I'm not, not, I, no, I'm, it's not going to happen. Do it, it will not happen. <laughs> But beyond that, mm. beyond the, you know, the April Fool's joke, sure. I'm assuming that if the engineering is feasible, they're going to try to do it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, to be honest, I wish I had a crystal ball and I could say, well, what's around the corner? But, but what is the amazing thing is that, that all these lines are coming up with, as you say, bigger, better, more of a wow factor. And I think Norwegian, Royal, Carnival, they, they lead the way in that, really. And... What works next? I mean, because you're, you're limited. As, as big as this ship is, yeah. and as big as the other new ships are, you're still limited in available space. Yeah, of course. But, I mean, these ships are getting bigger and bigger, right? And then if you're doing stuff like, for example, the water slides go over the edge of the ship, the, the racetrack goes over the edge of the ship, so maybe you just you go out further and further and further, you know. Which, which then limits you into which, into which ports you can go without well, banging true. into something. But <laughs> I mean, unless they fold up, you Yeah. Know. I mean, seriously. Yeah, I mean, you know, honestly, the, the, the level of engineering here on, on these ships blows my mind. And, and, and when people go to a, amusement parks, you know, attractions in the States or wherever, and, and then they come on board these ships, people who haven't been before, I, I mean, I, I defy them not to say that this is as good or better. Exactly. Now, mm. moving right along sure. to some other stuff in the news. Earlier this year, uh, the Trump administration essentially blindsided everybody and mm. said, OK, no more cruises to, to Cuba. That was about 800,000 bookings that essentially evaporated. Yeah, that was a big blow. And I don't think, well, there were rumblings, but not. But the, the lines weren't ready for that because they piled in as soon as Cuba became open. And that, that was a big blow at the start of the year. I know, and and it hurt it hurt their earnings, of course. But it did, yeah. But the bottom line is, for passengers, many of whom had been really looking forward to this. I mean, to be fair, the lines they didn't see it coming, and they scrambled and they put in alternative destinations. The problem is, it's not like saying, okay, you can't go to X Y Z Caribbean island. This is Cuba. It's unique, and as you say, that that's the issue. What, there isn't really an alternative, but they've done their best under the circumstances, I think. Yeah, and hopefully it'll come back. Well, hopefully. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, there are rumors again. The thing is, you never know, without getting too political, what, what's going to happen next with the U.S. administration. You know, they, he, he could decide, okay, well, let's open it again for business. Part of the challenge is, though, open it up again, but what happens if it then closes again? So it's, right. it's, I think it's well, tricky. Well, the, the odds of him opening it up again right now are, are pretty slim since yeah. he just banned all U.S. airline flights to Cuba uh, except for Havana. So all the other airports they were going to are now closed and off off limits yeah i mean this is it it's tricky if i would if i were the lines i wouldn't necessarily bet on that happening but it, it's it's it was a tough blow for them but as i say they've done well under the circumstances to to scramble the ships to other places is there another port that you hear that the cruise lines are looking at not to not to mm. replace cuba but people have always wanted to go that now mm. they're going to finally go well 
in that area, I think some of the areas, some of the places that I'd always predict are, are interesting are the are the Central American uh, ports. Now, I'm not talking necessarily about Roatan, which is right, which is okay, part of Honduras, but it's it's kind of you know not really. Um, I'm talking about the ones with a little bit more sort of character and color to them, and and you see some of those on the on the Caribbean coast, but also on the Pacific coast as well. Places like Limon, um, and then other parts, for example, Belize, I think is somewhere that's ripe for opening up to cruises. Well, as actually, well. I'm going to be on an NCL ship in, in a couple of weeks, and we're going to Guatemala. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's one of the places which I think is is a, is a fascinating option, um, and I think Central America is one to watch for sure. Mm. And anywhere else in the world, because China, of course, was the, was the you know the, the flavor of the day, and it didn't work out that well. China, China was the great hope. What's what's interesting is, and I spoke to Michael Bailey from Royal Caribbean about this, uh, and he was saying that the, the the challenge was was the infrastructure. So. You, you, and not just port infrastructure, but also the whole kind of the booking process and the agency, that, that wasn't in place, but everyone was rushing to get in there. Now, to be fair to Royal, they are, they've still got a number of ships in there, and indeed they're putting their new one in there as well. Um, so, to your question, I would say, for example, um, the Kimberley in Australia. That's oh, the Northwest. Oh, oh, my God. Unbelievable. Yeah. Oh, I haven't been. I'd love to go. Yeah, list. count me in on that again. Into the sky. The charge for looking at this pamphlet is $3. The charge for looking at this pamphlet and putting it back quickly is $4. He's the cruise director now on the Encore. Silas Cook, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. Pleasure to be back. Uh... In a, in a world of continual evolution mm-hmm. um, and, and a game of one-upsmanship, yes. um, it gets getting crazier and crazier because every That's time right. you come on a ship, now the word's virtual reality, it's, it's laser tag. I mean, somehow there's a boat that's floating, but inside is all this other stuff. Correct. Inside and outside, and that's the best part. I mean, I think with Norwegian Encore, the word Encore in itself means that we've delivered an incredible product that was very popular. So we bring it back again, only bigger and better. And mentioning virtual reality, high tech, for somebody like me, I'm not a natural tech guy. However, everything Welcome that we to do offer, correct, right? Yeah, yeah. But everything that we do have from the virtual reality center of Galaxy to the laser tag, and of course our speedway, which is now even larger and extends over the side of the ship even further, uh, is very, very user-friendly and also appeasing to all ages and demographics. And no limits. And no limit. Well, well, limits. Like there's a speed limit. You can get a ticket if you go a little too fast. Yeah, Come on. That happens. I know. I see it in your eye. I see it in your eye. You're going to have to I contain yourself on the speedway, okay? <laughs> no, what, what do you mean you get a ticket? Stop. I'll issue them just for fun. Why not? Okay. But the point is, I mean, you have limited speeds because it's centrifugal force. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Right for somebody that's not a tech guy, that sounds good to me. Yes. You'll, you'll live with that, right? <laughs> but then there are the other entertainments because it, it used to be that you'd bring up a, an entertainment venue on a ship, which you, you know basically you tried to fit into the ship. Mm-hmm. Now you're doing something where you're building the venue for the entertainment. Yes. Absolutely. I mean, if you take a look and you go on the outer decks here on the Encore, when you get a look at uh, the laser tag, for example, you don't feel like you're on a ship whatsoever for the quality of the scenic and the product that's there. It's fantastic. It's essentially the lost city of Atlantis that you enter in with a giant sea serpent that's looming over your head as there's augmented reality and the competition of the other team, too. So it's really otherworldly. It takes you away from the ship and what I hear a lot 
uh, on these sized vessels is the fact that people don't feel like they're on a ship. They forget that when they're on the vessel because of the layout and what's happening around them. They get lost in the moment and the activities or the venue and the product that's being delivered. And when you have this number of passengers on the ship, you have to give them space. Yes. Right? I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's sort of like this double-edged sword where the bigger the ship, the more space, and the bigger the ship, the more you, you could get lost. Sure. Right? Yeah. So yeah. you have to you have to look from the dynamics of it. Mm-hmm. How do you fill every square inch of space with an opportunity for people to feel that it, that it's not that big? Correct. And we've really done a great job with our, our mega ships, per se, or the Breakaway Plus class ships to uh, – offer venues in spaces in multiple lounges in multiple decks and locations too from forward to aft obviously our internals of deck six seven and eight and then you get up on the outer decks as well to really spread people out quite a bit so you know we have a theater that uh, for example sits close to 900 now for a ship this size it does seem small however in our benefit that is is purpose-built because we have more than twice as many other entertainment lounges events and activities than you would on what many people may be familiar with as a as a normal built ship with a very large theater and maybe to supporting lounges. So that's a lesson you learn from other ships, which is not to make the theater too big because then people feel it's not special enough. Ah, well, I'm sure some people may see it that way. I think it's options. You opt for quality, variety, options, and it also spreads guests out. So when they leave one venue, there's multiple things from five to six other uh, entertainment options or activities taking place at any given time. And that keeps the traffic flow moving and it keeps them busy keeps them busy that's the idea if they want if okay. they want not required broadway you've got kinky boots we have kinky boots now do you have your that, kinky boots i might well uh, don't <laughs> read, my, this time. Don't read okay. my mind no but that takes me to my next question which is you are now taking to another level yep. right you're 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 not breaking the fourth wall but the point is you're 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 being a little bit more what kinky no it's uh but from a traditional cruise passenger (laughs) perspective i have these visions of the the women with the blue hair going mildred what is that right yes no i it's really i mean kinky boots is obviously it's trending it's award-winning and uh that's become a trademark that norwegian has and of course kudos to to the entertainment team and uh those that have actually been able to bring these shows on our large vessels uh kinky is the next chapter in that as well alongside that with choir of man which is an incredibly popular show too so two major shows that we do that we can put on with great variety so it really appeases to all demographics be a rapid change in cabin pressure, oxygen masks will automatically drop from the compartment above your seat, free of charge. And to start the flow of oxygen, pay your flight attendant $75.63. Joining me now, someone who I last saw on the Norwegian Bliss who's the Vice President of Guest Experience. Is there a President of Guest Experience? Uh, not yet. Okay, well, I'll, yet. I'll give you that title. Thank you. Simon Murray, thank you for joining us. Cheers, thanks. How could there be a Vice President, not a President of Guest Okay, You know what? I'll be the President of Guest Experience. There Good you idea. Go. Good. But being the Vice President of Guest mm-hmm. Experience means that you're in charge of the bells and whistles. Yes. You're in charge of, of the gee whiz items on the ship. That's right. Right? Whether it's the racetrack, mm-hmm. whether it's the, the old days of the rock climbing wall, the uh, whatever wave machines you've got, ice skating machines, water slides, the whole bit, right? That's correct, yes. 
which means you're the first line of defense in you want to do what? Pretty much, pretty much. And that comes up all the time. Right. And when I talk to uh, to Frank Del Rio, who's, mm-hmm. you know, who runs all of the, the of, of NCL and Regent and, and uh, Oceania, uh-huh. he said to me, you know how I got the idea for the racetrack? It came from my kids, my mm-hmm. grandkids. That's right. Who said, you know, we, we just, could you do that? Uh-huh. And then, of course, okay. And then it was up to you guys to figure out how yeah, to do it. Yeah, look, if that's how it works. The ideas come from a, a, a very um, broad sense of, people and ideas and themes and I have to work it out so uh, you know if Frank or Harry says look hey let's do this then it's a matter of taking that and putting it into this wonderful ship that we have which is always very challenging well you've got space design yep. safety mm-hmm. seaworthiness I mean everything right all those things and really safety. not to mention liability that's true and safety is always number one so when we looked at the go-kart track initially we had a lot of things asked you know what you know what happens if so and so or something occurs so we build to make sure that it's safe and secure firstly and then the experiences on top and laid into that too. So I got to ask this question. Yep. I mean, the, the, when we were on the Bliss, uh, you had the racetrack, mm-hmm. right? And it was pretty fun. I mean, I had a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. This one is wilder because it actually hangs over the side of the ship. 13 feet over each side of the ship. So it's really, you're literally over the ocean up high. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> the track's a lot wider as well. The track's a lot longer. We're around uh, 50 meters, so 170 feet longer than what we had on the Bliss. And it's just been, it's iterations of change to st- just keep making it really cool and, and improving on the process and what we do for the guest. And how fast do these things actually go? If we were to let them go as they are, about 50 miles an hour, which we don't do that, right? Incredibly fast. Wait, so we, late at night when no one's watching, Simon, have you done it? Uh, how about me and you later on? Okay, done. President okay. and vice president, right? We'll do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah you're reporting to me now. Yes, okay. sir. You got it. You okay. got it. But actually, they're not going 50 miles no, an hour. No, about 32 miles an hour is what we max them out to, which feels extremely fast because you're obviously open air. You're so low to the ground too. Uh, you know, they're extremely fast, but you know, it's more about the experience to make sure that you're not braking too much so a good driver can drive the car flat out and have a really wonderful time. Right. But this isn't like bumper cars where you're no, smashing into the wall. Definitely not. And that's it's really it's it's a race experience. So you're not designed to be there with your buddies and mates and trying to give them a little love tap or put them in the wall. No. There's a whole safety briefing that goes with it. It's a driving experience. Now, given that we live in a world of experiential one-upsmanship. Yep. Everybody's coming up with new stuff. Well, if we've done that, let's do this. Uh-huh. Right? What was the one thing that came across your desk that, let's try this, and you said, no, this truly is crazy. We're not going to do it. Well, initially it was go-kart because when you look at the weight of it, where it is on the vessel, uh, it sounded odd at the time, as in like really out of the ordinary. Um, Initially, the engineers said, you're bloody crazy. We cannot do this, but worked it out, worked together, and here it is. I have a lot of things that are in the works now that, unfortunately, I can't share, even with you, Mr. No, but I'm, but I'm talking, even though you report to me. Exactly, to me? Oh, yeah. What? <laughs> Fine. But, by the way, that's the story of my life. Nobody tells me anything. Okay. But bottom line is, let's go back in history. Yep. When something came across your desk mm-hmm. and you went, this is not going to work, and it didn't work. What, what, what did you try to put on a ship that just, it's sort of like, you talk to a, a chef on an airline and they'll tell you, mm-hmm. about, you can't make a souffle because of humidity and pressure, it just drops. Right. You can't do it. So, there are certain things you just can't do, right? Correct. Like? Anything, so the, the two big issues we have is what we call a non-static load. So, for example, water is not static. It shifts. So it causes a lot of um, issues from weight dispersion and things on ships. Anything that's a non-static load is always very difficult to accommodate. So for those things, we kind of eliminate them quite quickly. Such as? Um, a lazy river. 
Right. You know, that, that would have been a really cool thing to do on a ship, right? Think about it. You're up by the pool deck with the lazy river. But the amount of water that would take and that water shifting is structurally not possible. So that's the crazy river, not the lazy river. Yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah, that, that's true, true. Okay, fine. So that's not going to happen. Correct. Okay, but you do have water slides. We do have water slides. Because the speed is different. The speed is different, but also the water slides that we use, the amount of water, it's it's virtually a mist. So uh, the engineering that's gone into those to make them as such allows us to do things like that. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings early and ad-free on the 48 Hours Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts.